You know, last week I told you that uh, it was probably going to be the final week in our, of our series on the glory of God. But then the Holy Spirit, as I was walking through this week, reminded me that there was still some unfinished business. And he told me and showed me throughout the week what that was. And so you're getting this fresh, hot off the press, I'm telling you. But before we go into what we're going to talk about today, I want to take some time to review just some of the things that we've covered in this series. You know, I started a few weeks ago when this series began with this statement. I said that one day we will all stand before God to give an account of the deeds that are done in our bodies. And I said this, I believe that when God looks at our lives, he'll look at them as if he's looking in a mirror to see what it will reflect. And I said this, I believe he'll be looking for one thing and one thing only, his glory. Is my life a mirror that reflects his image? Has his glory been revealed in me? Can he see his glory in me? Then Nate Dennis added this statement early that morning. I hadn't seen it before. I don't know who it comes from or else I'd give him the credit for it. That the glory of God is a reflection of who he is, his character, his spirit being evident in me. So it begs the question, has he glorified himself in me? When I stand before him, will he see himself in me. As the series progressed, we went on to say that God reveals his glory in order to receive glory in worship. Our Father wants the entire world to know that he is God and God alone and that he alone is worthy of worship. Our Father's plan is to purposefully reveal to every single person, every single nation, tribe, and tongue who he is for the express purpose of glorifying himself through our response of love in worship to him. God wants us to be in love with him. He wants us to be so satisfied in our relationship with him. John Piper captures that well in this expression. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And God wants to work through you and I to make his name great in our realms of influence. In our realms of influence. And he's chosen us. Listen, everybody say chosen. He's chosen us to be carriers of his glory. God invites us to join him in what he's doing as co-laborers with him. But the choice is ours. He leaves the choice to us. And I went on to say that life is choice-driven. And we are either in the will of God or we are out of the will of God based on the choices that we make. God will not force us to do anything. <laughs> now, he might forcefully get our attention. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Well, God can be aggressive with getting our attention because he loves, and whom he loves, he what? Yes, he does. But he'll never force us into a decision or else he'd violate his own will. 
And then I gave you this statement. God in his glory is purposefully and powerfully moving all of human creation toward his desired end. And there is nothing we can do to stop it. I, you may recall I gave you the illustration where I was out in Hawaii on the beach. Remember that? I gave you that illustration. If you didn't hear it, then you got to go back to the other, one of the other messages. I won't take the time to do that. But listen, he is purposefully and powerfully moving all of human history towards his desired end. And there is nothing that we can do to stop it. We can either choose to join him in what he's doing as a carrier of his glory. or We can get swept away in the wake of his will. But God is going to glorify himself and his will will be done in this earth. It's just going to happen. And then a couple weeks ago, I said to you that I'm convinced more than ever that God wants us to know what his will is for us so that we can join him in it. I went on to say that, that, that like a close friend tells another close friend something special about themselves that few are privileged to hear. God wants to reveal his plan for our lives to us in much the same way. And so the closer we draw to God, the more of himself that he will reveal to us. Yeah? Then last week I asked this question. I said, how much more would the glory of God be manifested in this world if every single disciple of Jesus Christ sought to live a life that imitated him, thereby living a life worth imitating? Then I talked about the law and the purpose of the law and that we that are in Christ, we are that are in Christ. Everybody say, in Christ. We that are in Christ have been set free from the bondage of the law. Paul writes for us in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free, set us free from the law of sin and death. Disciples of Christ are free from the bondage of the law. But with great freedom comes great responsibility. And Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, he says, to whom much is given, much is required. Our freedom must always be balanced with our responsibility to God and others. And we must never become callous with our freedom and allow our freedom to hurt or harm others, to be a stumbling block for others, to cause others to fall from their faith. And then last week I showed you several ways to live a life worth imitating, one that glorifies God. And I think that it could be summed up in this one verse of Scripture found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, that says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And then I finished last week's sermon with a poem that mentioned that as disciples of Christ, we are, our lives are a living sermon. You guys remember that? And as good as the poem was by Edgar A. Guest, when he wrote the sermons we see, I, I just felt compelled to add my own little words at, at the end. And so 
at the end of the poem, I added, and may our Christ-like words and actions be the sermon others see and be compelled to imitate the Christ in you and me. Christ in you. Amanda, the hope of his glory in you, Sarah, and William and Julia, and Barbara, and Roger, Christ in you is the hope of his glory. So, this week what I think is going to be the final week talking about the glory of God. I want to talk about a topic that is, is dear to me because it's what we all strive for. It's glorification. So I titled the, the message today, Glorification, the Ultimate Glory. Now, why glorification, Pastor Greg? Well, there are three spiritual stages that every follower of Christ will go through. Three. The first is justification. Justification takes place at, in the moment that we surrender our life to the love of Jesus. The moment we embrace the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and surrender our lives to him, we stand justified in the righteousness of Jesus. And then the second stage is, is, is the stage that will occur from the moment of justification all the way to the end where we pass from this life to the next life. That stage is called sanctification. It's an ongoing process. It's continual. It never stops until we draw our last breath and step from this life to the next life. We are in the process of sanctification. I believe that's why Paul said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling before the Lord. Man, I, I feel myself moving away. Listen. There are things that you can get away with that I can't get away with. And there's things that I can get away with that you can't get away with because our walk with God is individual. Right? That's the reason. I'm a man. I'm meddling now. That's the reason why there are 23,596 different religions in the world. Way more than that, just so you know that. But somebody tries to make everybody fit into the same mold and you end up having all these different denominations because one person thinks that this is the way that it should be for everyone. You don't find that in Scripture. The Bible teaches us to, that we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling before the Lord. That is the whole process of sanctification from the moment we stand justified in the righteousness of Christ until the end where we draw our last breath. And at that point when we draw our last breath, that is where the third stage begins for us. And that is the stage of glorification. One theologian, I don't know who it is, he defined glorification as the ultimate and eternal state of transformation of the believer from mortality to immortality when sin is done away with forever. Gone. 
The ultimate and eternal state of transformation of the believer from mortality to immortality when sin is done away with forever. This is the hope of every believer, isn't it? I don't know about you, man, but this old body gets some of you young people like, oh, my, my body's not old, Pastor. Man, you know, I used, to, I used to get up in the morning and roll up out of bed and, man, I could, I could put in three hours in the gym before 11 o'clock. Sometimes before 8 o'clock. I, I mean, just up and rolling around. Now, man, whoo! Our alarm clock goes off and I go to reach, I'm like, oh, Lord, Jesus. <laughs> My body is talking to me, man. But one of these days... We're going to change. I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm getting happy right now. If you have your Bibles, don't you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll read about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For those of you who didn't bring your Bible, I'm going to put it up on the screen. You see up there, it begins at verse 51, but we're going to, we're going to move up a little bit to, to verse 50. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. Are you guys there? Paul writes this. Still hear pages turning. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body shall put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Now, I was telling the team as we were joining together this morning for prayer that my entire week last week around, revolved around the passing of two very special people who've gone on to be with Jesus. Mother Alice Snow, whom I've known all, all of my life, and Mother Velma Miller, who I've also known all my life. Both of them love Jesus. When I think about my time spent with Mother Alice Snow, there wasn't a whole lot. I didn't really know her very well, but here's what I do know. I had the privilege of watching her life at first from a distance and then more closely when my sister married her son. Year after year after year and watched the consistency in her life with her relationship with Jesus. She loved the Lord and she was prepared to meet him. 
She went home to be with Jesus on Monday evening. And now Alice Snow has ceased from her labor and she has received, inherited her glorified body. Yesterday, was it yesterday? It was Friday, wasn't it? Friday, we attended the home going of Mother Velma Miller. Seems like yesterday, but it was Friday. This woman was a giant in many ways. First of all, she was about, she had to be about this tall. She was tall. Wasn't she this tall? She was at, least, at least this tall. She was tall. And all her kids were tall. I told the church yesterday, I said, I, you know, I love going over their house in the afternoon because I felt like I was walking amongst the land of the giants, man. Huge, just a big family. But she was a giant in the faith, too, with this infectious smile. Amazing. This woman played a key role in who I married. I ain't going to tell you what she said. Want me to tell you what she said? Y'all just nosy, just nosy people. <laughs> just nosy. Man, I will not do it. You, can ask, you might ask me after the service, I might tell you. It's funny. She played a key role in who I married. She, she placed a demand on the preacher that was in me. I remember being at a church service where the aspiring uh, preachers, ministers were preaching, and, and I wasn't preaching because at that point, I, I, you know, I, wasn't, I wasn't living anything, like, and I shouldn't be in the pulpit. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You know when you find yourself in sin? You know, pastor ain't been saved all his life. You know? So I, she... After, the, after the, the service was over, Mother Miller came up to me. She said, she said, Brother Greg. And she, she, had that big, she had that big smile on her face and she would talk to you. Brother Greg, I thought you said you was called to preach. I said, uh, uh, no, no, Mother Miller. I said, I, I wasn't, I, I'm not called to preach. She said, oh, yes. Yes, you are, Brother Greg. You called to preach. I remember your first sermon at the Lily of the Valley Church. You, you called to You said you was called to preach. I said, oh, Mother Miller, I don't remember that. And she, she grabbed me by my arm really gently as only she could. And she started patting me on, her, on my back. And she got real close to me. She said, you've been called to preach, baby. <laughs> and you're going to preach. <laughs> Look, she placed a demand on that calling on my life. And I finally stepped into it. Mm -hmm. Hers was a life well lived. Hers was a life well imi worth imitating. She loved Jesus. She hung out with him in prayer all the time. She loved to spend time with him. And so when it came time for her to go, she was ready to go. The family will tell you that on the day that she passed away, she was laying in the bed, and I believe her daughter was laying in the bed next to her, and they heard bells, could clearly hear the bells. And Joseph, her only son, walked in and, and looked at her sister, his sister and said, you hear those bells? They sound like wedding bells. And right after that, her mom, their mom, looked at Lynette in the face and drifted into glory. Velma Miller has ceased from her labor. 
and she too has received her glorified body. And now both Velma Miller and Alice Snorin join the ultimate glory as they are now in the presence of the bridegroom. <laughs> in all of his glory. Now I'm going to give you a little paradigm shift here for us in the, in the Western culture. Because I think we have it backwards when it comes to the bride and the bridegroom. You see, all of the glory belongs to the groom. <laughs> in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27 through 28, I don't have it on the screen. I'm reading out of the New English translation because I like the way it reads. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to sanctify her by cleansing her with the washing of the water of the word that he may present the church to himself as glorious, not having a stain or wrinkle or any such blemish, but holy and blameless. It's about the groom. You know, in Jewish culture, it's the groom that chooses the bride. Jesus makes this statement in John 15, 16, says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And then once the marriage agreement has been reached, it's the groom who must pay the ransom for the bride. Put that next slide up, would you? There you go. Thanks, Martin. It's the groom that must pay the ransom for the bride. The groom is responsible to show that he's capable to provide everything that's needed to care for the bride and for her to care for herself as she remains pure until the day the marriage is consummated. That's the groom's responsibility to do that. In essence, the groom lays down his life for the bride. And even though the marriage ceremony will take place in the future, at the point this, these two families come into agreement, that marriage becomes legal and binding even before it's consummated. And it's at this stage of the marriage agreement that the groom, normally being a, a younger child, especially if these two are betrothed to each other when they're young, and in Jewish culture they can be betrothed as children to one another. At this, at this stage the groom would return to his father's house to prepare a place, begin preparing a place for the bride. And it could be up to a year later or so before they finally come together and they're finally married and the marriage is consummated. The fact that the, that the groom goes home to the father to prepare a place, of course, is the very promise that Jesus gave the church when he said in John 14, beginning of verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. I love the King James says, many mansions. And if it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. See, the bride is the glory of the groom. 
and the glory belongs to the groom. In Wayne Jacobson's book, Finding Church, he tells the story of a bride who is sitting in the, in the bridal chambers, exhausting herself in preparation, trying to get ready for her man, while the groom is standing there wondering, what in the world is taking this woman so long? I know she doesn't need anything. I provided everything for her. I know, the, the, I know that she said she had her dress and her steam and it's ready to go. She looks good without makeup. What in the world is taking her so long? Why is she toiling and laboring and keeping me waiting at this altar? He goes on to say this, and I quote out of his book. It's interesting how in our culture, at least, too much attention is drawn to the bride rather than the groom. If there's anything that sticks out in the Bible regarding the imagery of the bride and the bridegroom, it's that the glory belongs to the groom. The church is the bride of Christ. We get so focused on the church functioning the way that we think that it should that we end up ignoring the groom who is waiting for us to come to him. I realize our weddings today are all about the bride's special day, but in his kingdom, in God's kingdom, the focus of the bride is the groom. And it's his joy to make the bride ready. Our task is to be with him. Let him accomplish his work instead of trying to do it for him. I want to close with this passage of scripture out of Ephesians, and I think it says it all. Because every single one of us who are followers of Jesus Christ are looking forward to the day where we get to stand face to face with the bridegroom. I think this passage says it all. Ephesians chapter 2, we'll close with this. Begin at verse 1. Hello, it's God. <laughs> okay, chapter 2, verse 1, you there? I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. And for all who have not seen me, I love that sound. That is so cool. She's giving it to the whole family today. You hear that? We love you guys. Where was I at? Oh, who have not seen me face to face. Let me just start all over again. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of the fullness and assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. In whom the whole in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I say this in order that no one deludes you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, 
rooted and built up in him, and established in your faith, just as you were taught, abounding with thanksgiving. You know what? I'm reading, I'm reading Colossians. I was like, <laughs> I'm like, that sure doesn't sound familiar to me. I, I'm, you know, you know, I, you start off with the scripture, you're like, man, you know, I've, I know I've read this like a half a dozen times, and that just doesn't sound right. I wasn't feeling the anointing or nothing. I was like, man, what in the world? Say, <laughs> so, everybody's like, man, okay, Pastor, I, I don't know what Bible you read now, though, but it sure ain't what I'm reading. Woo-wee! <laughs> Look, this will probably make more sense. <laughs> Did you say that? Okay. And you who were dead in trespasses and sin, did that sound a little better? They're like, ah, Pastor Glory! (laughs) In which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power in the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, everybody say, but God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing, it's a gift of God. Not the result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, watch this now, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God wants to glorify the Son as we draw closer to the Son with the intentional purpose of becoming more like the Son every day. And when we do that, God will begin to reveal to us His plan for us so that the things that He has already planned for us will just be able to walk into those things effortlessly without any stress, strain, struggle, or sorrow attached to it. Because he knows the plans that he has towards us. Thoughts of of, of peace and not of evil to give us an expected end. So let me close with this, just as I opened. One day, each one of us are going to stand before God. And he's going to look at us as if he's looking in a mirror to see what it will reflect. And the only question that he will have in that moment is whose righteousness do you bring me? 
Do you stand justified in the righteousness of Christ? Is the glory of Jesus Christ radiant in your life? Or do you bring me your own righteousness? Which is nothing. For those of us who have glorified God in our bodies, have embraced the saving grace of Jesus Christ, we'll stand justified before the Father. And in that moment, we will be changed from mortal to immortal and put on a body that will be imperishable and will last forever. That is the ultimate glory.